boy's got utter belief in him. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Podcast listeners, I've got some great news for you. I know the last year or two have been, your world's been turned upside down. It's been extremely hard, but the world is returning to normal. The New England Patriots are one of the best teams in the NFL yet again. And NCAA Cross Country is happening in November. We're only three days away from a fantastic 2021 NCAA Cross Country Championships where Jonathan Galtz and myself will be boots on the ground. We'll be breaking that meat down for you on this podcast. And we're less than two hours away from the Michigan Pro Academy. By the time that race, by the time you listen to this podcast, it will be over. But we can tell you now what will happen in that race. Is the IOC trying to ruin women's sports and end them once and for all? Is Shelby Houlihan moving up to the marathon? Plus, fake Mike Smith will join the show. Weldon will reveal how much it costs to run his turkey trot. All of that and much more. But first, for our VIP subscribers only, I want to confess to some crazy hypocritical thoughts that John thinks I have on the COVID vaccine. So here we go for subscribers only. All right, John, let's talk a little, well, then let's talk a little bit about the 20, the second, well, I was going to say the second 2021 NCAA cross country championships, but I think the one that was in March, it was actually the 2020 NCAA cross country championships. Is that correct, John? But it was just held in 2021. Yeah, that's what everyone's calling it. It's just, it's easier for us you know, when writing articles and that sort of thing. But yes, it took place in March 2021. So it's taking place on Saturday. It's going to be broadcast in the States on ESPN or ESPN2 or something. ESPNU. Yeah, ESPNU. Bill Spaulding's doing it, right? Our favorite track and field. Well, your favorite track and field play-by-play guy, right? I don't know if he's doing it. I hope he is. Hope to catch up with him and... Tallahassee. Anyways, will Connor Mance become a legend? That's the question John's now asking on the homepage. Mercy Chalangat will try to repeat her titles. And then in the team battle, can BYU and NAU do it again, or will somebody else dethrone them? Let's start with the men, John. I was editing your individual preview that you put up, that you wrote yesterday, right around midnight. And I don't know. You start this article with some really bold statements. Opening paragraph, Connor Mance is chasing more than a win at the 2021 NCAA Cross Country Championships. He is chasing immortality. I kind of wondered if John was going to give me insight into the Mormon religion. I don't know the specifics, if there was something peculiar. (laughs) I don't know. I don't want to go. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be canceled there. But, um, Yes, he's going for a repeat win. He'll become only the 13th man to win in multiple NCAA XC titles if he does it. But I kind of thought you were overplaying how special this was going to be if he wins this title. And I know we had been, what, how many years had it been since an American had won an NCAA XC men's title before he did it last in March? 12. So, yeah, I mean, American hadn't won in 12 years. To do two in back-to-back years is impressive. But to me, the fact that he's doing it what, eight months apart makes it less impressive than if it was 12 months apart because, I don't know, I mean, 
if I beat you this weekend, I'm going to beat you next weekend. So the less time that goes between the championships, to me, I'm putting a small asterisk next to it if he does repeat. Well, I, okay, that's not an unfair argument, but it's still it's been eight months instead of 12. So, you know, okay, is that an extra four months, big whoop? But the other thing here, it's not just that he would repeat. He would also be just the eighth guy in history to finish in the top 10 at NCAA cross country four times. So it's not just that, you know, he's been a two-time champion. He's been a stud ever since his first NCAAs. He was 10th in 2018 as a, he was a freshman, but it was actually his fourth year since graduating high school. You know, he had two years on a mission and then he redshirted. And then he was third in 2019. He was the top man on BYU's title team. And then he was first in 2020, and he's trying to be first again in 2021. So that's a pretty legendary cross-country career right there, including two titles at the end if he wins. Fair enough. I wasn't a, when you said it when that when I read that stat, eighth man to finish in the top four NCAA XC four times. I kind of was assuming this might be his fifth time running it, but I realized it's only his fourth time. He actually has another season of eligibility, correct? If he wanted it, he he does. But all indications are that he will be turning professional after the after this race. I mean, I give him less credit just because of his age. He'll turn 25 in next month. So I guess he's, what, two years older than most people? Or one, maybe, even redshirting? But I just, that's just how it works. I think I think we've seen by this. Well, maybe it's not fair. I would say BYU has an advantage. Now, maybe that's not fair. They're at altitude. They got really good athletes to begin with. So maybe it's unfair to say, oh, it's because that are a little bit older than everybody else. And they do miss two years of training when they're gone, but the success they've had, it's hard for me to say it's a disadvantage to go on the Mormon mission. And I just think with age, it helps. Okay. But I'm just going to say this. Well, then you can be old. He's older than most of the runners in this race. That's no doubt, but he's still going to be a legend if he wins. I mean, Henry Rono, do you realize how old Henry Rono was when he won his first NCAA title in 1976? He was 24, which is the same age Connor Mance is now. He went on to win two more. 1979, when he won his final NCAA title in cross country, he was 27. He's still a legend. Wait, we should. I'm sorry, Henry. I guess he was breaking world records in college, right? He broke one in college. <laughs> he broke like four. Okay. In 81 days. You get some credit there, but otherwise we got some 27-year-old ringer like from Kenya and we like we we can't praise we can no longer praise Henry Rono as a great collegiate runner. We can praise him for breaking the world records while in college. Speaking of 27-year-old ringers, I greatly enjoyed y'all's interview with Elkana Kabet last week. I mean, people when I was reading it the highlights of it, I didn't actually listen to it, I'm not going to lie, but when I was reading the highlights of it, people sometimes complain about it giving us giving scholarships to foreigners, and I was like, this was life-changing for him to go to Auburn University, but I also did the math. He's 38 now. He was competing in the NCAA in 2010, so he was either 26 or 27 when he was running in the NCAA, so just pointing that out there. Well, he, all right, I just want to say on the age thing, because this comes up on the message boards all the time. Like, people call him Grandpa Mance, and they're, like, criticizing him. Like, this isn't fair. Someone, I posted, like, I posted my article to Twitter, and then someone said, no, there's a correction. You're saying he turns 25 in 
next month, he actually turns 35. Like people get really mad about this stuff and they're not breaking any rules. Okay. Conor Mance is eligible to compete. As far as I'm concerned, that's it. Like, look, if you want to go on a mission to serve two year mission and then run four years at your school, you're entitled to do that. It just so happens that most people, most of the people doing this run at BYU, but like, look, it's, it's under the rules. This is not like, high school where everyone is supposed to be the same exact age. There are some older athletes running. Do they have an advantage? Yes, probably. But like, I think this whole thing about age is overblown. He's eligible to run and he's running. The other advantage that BYU has is the Mormon religion. And by that, I really mean the Mormon lifestyle. I was talking to a college coach just two weeks ago when I was at their conference championship. And he was saying at his school, they were, sort of struggling to get the kids to buy into the track and field culture. There was other things, a lot of things going on on campus. How do you get them to commit to the sport? And he's like, basically, I want them to live like Mormons. <laughs> but unlike a soccer coach, they only well, you need to be all in for three months. For track and field, you need to be kind of all in for the whole year. And that, you know, the less you drink, the less you party, et cetera, the more you're wholesome and just focus on running, the better off you are. So <laughs> not only is BYU at altitude, um, sort of the the hallmarks of the of the Mormon religion are also really sort of go hand in hand with being a good distance runner. So should be interesting there. When John breaks it down, and you know, I think most people think Connor Mance, if he doesn't win it, the most likely guy to do it would be Wesley Kiptu of Iowa State. This guy's known for taking things out super super fast. He's indicated that he's less likely to do that. He's trying to hold back and be a little bit more patient. Um, you know, the, he's run under, what, 1320 for, what's his 5,000 PB, John? 1321. You've got also Florida State's, I can't even pronounce his name properly, John. We need to get an official ruling. I heard him being called Valdschkut on the ACC broadcast. He's South African. It's sort of like a name that has its roots in Dutch, but we can just call him Adrian if you want. But I think Valdschkut is what I heard as a pronunciation. We'll have to ask him in Tallahassee. Yep, 1328, 2748. You've listed them as the three most likely to win it. You've also mentioned Cooper Tier, 1312 PB. Nico Young, 1324, was right behind uh, Mr. Mance at the regional meet as the most likely winners. You also said top 10 guys that probably won't win. Charles Hicks of Stanford, Isaiah Rodriguez of Oklahoma State, Edward Herrera of, of um, Colorado, Abdelhamid Noor of NAU. And then there's a guy that really interests me more than everybody else, John. Athanos Kyoko of Campbell. And I just, when I was reading this preview, I'm like, okay, I agree with your big three. Well, really, I think it's going to – to me, who do I think is going to win this race? Who do I think has – just reading your preview, I thought, okay, obviously Mance has a good shot. Kiptu has a really good shot. Who else could I see winning it? I don't really see this Florida State guy winning it. Uh, but but I did see – I could see Kyoko winning it. This is a guy from Kenya. He's run 13-13 on the track, and he's undefeated on the year. Yes, he hasn't raced anyone, so it's impossible to say, but that 13-13 shows you're legit. So would not shock me at all if he wins it. And then it would surprise me if Cooper Tier wins it, but I would go with Nico Young. 
the, so I really I've got four, and I, I mean I'm gonna put Wilchcott as fifth, but uh, I think you're sleeping on Kyoko, and he, he should not have been a top ten guy who probably won't win it. I think he should have been at least in some sort of long longer shot category ahead of these other people. Yeah, Robert, it's interesting. Kyoko definitely a contender. I think it's just I haven't I don't know what to expect from him across country this fall. I know that we've seen Mance and Kiptu and Valchka all run really well, really impressive victories. Kyoko, like you said, 13-13, you can't fake that. He's certainly a contender, but I just view him as a big unknown in this race. Uh he hasn't he didn't run into Tibley Cross last year. So I just don't totally know what to expect from him. Let's contemplate for a minute, though, that Mance doesn't win like you think he will. And by the way, podcast listeners, please enter our NCAA prediction contest. Weldon can, is going to be reading off who's leading the voting on that soon, but we have it up. It's free to play. Who's sponsoring it, Weldon? Running Warehouse prediction contest. And there's a thread up on the forums today. Is Running Warehouse and some other online thing, are they legit? Like, I guess some people only, like, younger generation only order from, like, Amazon. If you're going to buy shoes online, you need to get them from Running Warehouse. It's a great place. And they're, like, runners, you know, like, legit runners who started the thing. They know what they're talking about. So go to runningwarehouse.com, get your shoes. And also, if you haven't tried it yet, you need to do this drink element. It's electrolytes with no sugar, no junk. It's great. Try the free offer. Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Get a free sample pack. You pay $5 shipping. If you don't like it, I'll refund your five bucks. Also, if you take advantage of the sample pack and email me this week, I will pick one person who emails me. I'm on like the drink element to like gravy chain. They send me like a huge packet. Like I think it's like every couple of weeks, like hundreds of them. I can't drink that much every day. You know, I drink like one a day. So I will, I will send you a box. One person who signs up this week, email me, wejoeatletsrun.com. All right, what I want to do here is contemplate, let's assume, how does a win impact someone's career? Let's start with Nico Young. If he's the winner on Saturday, I think this is probably his last NCAA cross-country race, and he'll go be going pro. Do you agree with that assessment? I think it depends what he does on the track. I mean, cross country winning cross country is great. I think that would show he's already kind of viewed as the next Ritz high school phenom who he just like Ritz, he was fourth in his first NCAA cross country as a true freshman. Ritz won NCAA cross in his third year at Colorado. This would be Nico's second year at NAU. But and Ritz did turn pro after his third year at Colorado, but it's also he was in online to make the Olympic team and did make the Olympic team that year. Nico Young, like Winning NCAA cross is great, but you got to do something like you get paid for being a pro on the track, on the track or on the roads, like running marathons. And is someone really going to throw like a huge amount of money at him after winning NCAA cross? If he's only like fifth or something and NCAA is on the track. I don't think so. So I think he would either need to show something on the track or do something run like, you know, sub 60 in the half marathon next spring. But Otherwise, I don't think the offer would be enough for him to leave Flagstaff where he has a good training setup right now. Correction, John, correction. You get paid for potential and hype or doing really well on the track. Look at Hobbs Kessler. 
I mean, he was doing really well, but so much is about the anticipation, what you can do. If you're an NCAA cross-country champion, an American at 19, I assume you can get paid. But I do understand the sentiment. He's a 13-24 guy on the track. That's going to do nothing. There would still be a long time. You know, is he unlikely to make the world's team this year? So a lot of questions. There would still be a lot of question marks in my mind. I just view, like, I view the NCAA cross as a huge deal. But I'm not sure in the wider sport, especially, like, internationally. You know, Hobbs Kessler, you say, okay, he's run... 334 as a high schooler like this guy could be running at the world championship he could have made the olympic team this past summer that was a possibility nico young just because he wins ncaa cross i don't think that means he's going to be making a world championship team next year i I just think track is track is what gets the hype and i don't know if winning ncaa cross at 19 it's a ridiculous accomplishment but i don't think it generates the same hype as what cole hawker or Hobbs kessler were doing last year Correct. There's another 1324 guy who's actually won an NCAA title, and that's Connor Mance. But he's older. And Nico was the best high school runner. I think there's just something said. If you're the best in your class and, and you're labeling him like, oh, this is the best collegiate runner. We need him now. Somebody might pay for that. But I agree. Get this track times down. More money will come. Okay, so that's what that's if Nico wins. What about these other scenarios you want to run through, Robert? Well, I think one of the Kenyans wins. I mean, it doesn't change that much. I mean, I guess it helps their profiles a great deal. But Cooper Tier, I slightly worded the way you asked this question. You said, is Tier a guy who's better at track than the 10K, than 10K XC, or a complete stud who's about to run his best race of the season? I don't really think being better at the track and complete studs are sort of necessarily different categories. I think he's someone who's better at the track than he is at XC, but this is a pretty flat course. If he wins this, I think it definitely helps him a lot. Oh, I would I would agree. Like he I mean, he could have gone pro after last year. He was fourth. He almost made the Olympic team in the five thousand meters. He ran thirteen twelve, set an NCAA meet record. And that was his that was his fourth year at Oregon. You know, he's he's now a fifth year senior, so it's not like he's super old either. Like but but I think his contract like this, Ed Eyestone said, this is why Connor Mance didn't turn pro after the spring season. And he finished fifth at the Olympic trials in the 10K. It's because he doesn't think, he thinks there are going to be better deals out for him, out there for him in 2022 when there's more, sort of a more regular schedule. You don't have all these people uncertain about COVID. Shoe companies aren't sure about the Olympic. To like, there's just more certainty in the sport. So I think, yeah, Cooper Tier, he's certainly earned a big contract with his with his accomplishments on the track. Remember, he's a 350 miler. He's the NCAA mile record holder as well. If you can do that and you could win an NCAA cross country title for Oregon and you're American, yeah, I think there's a decent there's quite a lot of money waiting for him and you know, he could stay with Oregon if he wants to stay with Ben Thomas through the spring to get ready for the World Championships which will be in Eugene next spring. I think that's a pretty sensible option. But he would have a very nice contract waiting for him after this if he turns if he wins cross. It would be bigger than if he did yeah, doesn't, obviously. Yeah, three fifty mile or an NCAA cross country champions would be a pretty nice thing to have in the negotiating table on your resume. I've got some preliminary results here from the running warehouse prediction contest voting. Connor Mance is your big favorite. Nearly sixty percent of people are picking him to win. Then Wesley Kiptu, 18%. Uh, 
Adrian Hildshut. Apologies for pronunciation. 10%. And then it gets a little interesting because Athanas Kyoko, overall, when you rank them by like where people are voting, like you can pick someone anywhere in the top 10. He's only number nine. But in terms of first place votes, he is the same number as Nico Young. They both get 4% of the votes. And then a drop off to Cooper Tier is getting 1.7%. So people are loving Connor Mance. But I would say if anyone outside of those five guys wins, it'd be a big surprise. Cooper Tier's not winning. I'll say it right now. Yeah, he was beaten by Wesley Kipp to Wisconsin. Now you can say, okay, he chose not to go with them. Didn't really make... I wasn't worried about that, but then he got his doors blown off by Charles Hicks of Stanford at the Pac-12 meet, and that one, that was definitely some red flags. The race was at a little bit of altitude in Salt Lake City, but after that, I, I think he sort of fell out of the top-tier contenders like Kiptu, Mance, and Valchkit. Anyway, shall we move on to the team battle, Robert? I think we should. I mean, John said it best. He said he spent most of Monday trying to think of a reason to pick against Mance, and he struggled to think of one. He's the reigning champ. He's been incredible in 2021. He owns, he's never lost to Wesley Kiptu. So... He's the man to beat. In the team battle, what, NEU's won four of the last five? I assume yep. they're the favorites here. I'm Well, I'm in the midst of writing our team preview, and I don't view it that way, Robert. Because if you look, you're like everyone's like, okay, NEU, they blitzed everyone last year. They scored 60 points, you know, just crushed everyone, four in the top 10. But two of those guys, Luis Grijalva and Blaise Farrow, who were in the top 10 last year, not coming back. And... They've had some issues replacing them. Now, could they win? Absolutely. They still have three total stars in Nico Young, Abdelhamid Noor, and Drew Bosley. But, and then they're four. George Cush, he's, he's a Big Ten champion in cross country from last year. He's a Nebraska transfer. He's been a pretty solid number four for them this year. But he's also more of a miler type. They held him out of regionals. And... NCAA cross country last year. Now he granted he ran this after two rounds of the mile at NCAA indoors, but we went ran NCAA cross in March. He was 229th, and he's run it two other times. He was 55th in 2018, but he was also 165th in 2019. So they're relying on a guy who is a miler type and has bombed two of his three appearances at NCAA cross at number four. And then number five, they haven't really had a number consistent number five all year. They've had Theo Quacks has run decent. Brody Hasty's, you know, been in the 40s, 50s range at NCAA a couple times, but he's barely been in their top seven for most of this year. So, th- and then they've got this guy, Tristan Merchant, who's a true freshman from Alaska, who's been running okay, but do you really want to trust a true freshman at number five? So they have some question marks on their back end. And I would say the two teams that I think could beat them. Oklahoma State and Notre Dame, they don't really have the same questions. They're deep teams. I think if one of those their guys in the top five has a bad day, they've got another guy who can step right up and replace them. If even one of NAU's top five has a bad day, I think they're finished. And I think that four and five really need to have good days for them to win. Wow, John hating on NAU. From Flagstaff, Arizona, the birthplace of Let's Run.com. By the way, I'm thinking of, of getting a... Should I reveal this? I mean, Nike wouldn't reveal their trade secrets. I feel like we need a mascot of Let's Run.com. And, you know, so we can do some apparel with a mascot. And I've come up with the perfect idea for a mascot for our beloved website. Any guesses? It's an animal. 
Are there animals that are associated with Let's Run.com? With Flagstaff. I know what this is. He t- I guess you weren't on the text. He only texted the Let's Run people who have lived in Flagstaff, I guess. It was a text. It must have been a text between me, Steve, and Robert, which is unusual. It was a video text message of these animals at the zoo. Keep it quiet, Robert. Keep it quiet. People keep guessing. This animal is related to Flagstaff. Yes. Well, even you know, I don't know about this. Yeah, this is... I don't know. I think unless you've been in Flagstaff, you'll never guess it. I've already forgotten the name of this animal, but I have a picture of it in my head. I may drive to the zoo today. I'd love to watch them just. Okay, this is interesting. Back to the cross-country team stuff here. Because, well, we gotta get, maybe we just need to put John on the spot. John, is NAU the favorite or not? I don't think so. I think Notre Dame's the favorite. Okay, I thought that's what you would say. But when we look at the running warehouse prediction polls, they're big favorites. They're getting more first place votes than anyone else. But we also received a phone call this week. Call 184-LET'S-RUN, secret option 7 to leave a voicemail. We said the next voicemail played on the podcast, we get a free pair of on shoes. So this person... We'll get a free pair of on shoes. We'll do it again. The offer still stands. Next voicemail on the podcast. Free pair of on shoes. And this voicemail is by a person, none other, claiming to be Mike Smith. All right, this is uh, Mike Smith here, Northern Arizona University. And I just I just want to call on, I think you guys on the message board got it all wrong. Uh, you know, to quote Kanye West, I'd say they hate us because they ain't us. And uh, boys are going to give up a have a good fight and uh, i'm really excited for nico after what he was able to do with connor this past weekend and uh you know it ain't over till it's over mike smith out there you have it the fake mike smith feeling the heat of the message board feeling the doubt from people like jonathan galt well you know what i give i give credit to the fake mike smith for quoting a rap legend because that's what the real mike smith likes to do I take some points off on the accent. I mean, Mike Smith, let's face it, he has one of the hardest voices to imitate. But I don't know. I feel like he talks more like this, and he has a very strange way. You know, he takes pauses sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I I don't know. I can't do a Mike Smith voice either, but that was was where I would knock it off a little bit. John, the... the Caller tried. I'll play a little real Mike Smith so people can compare. This is from your interview, John, with Mike Smith at NCAs three years ago. There's so much talk about this stuff. Talk, 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 talk. And it's like we just stayed away from that talk and we just, I don't know, man. We just, we just did it. It's just, it's just work. It's like it's training. It's just, it's, it's real. It's real stuff. The talk isn't real. This is real. You know, and uh, yeah, just give it to those guys. They kept their heads and, and, they kept uh, a lot of emotional control. That that's the name of the game. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I just didn't hear that from the caller. But I'm not saying my my attempt was any better. I just think he's a hard guy to imitate. But I, I appreciate the voicemail and hope you enjoy your shoes, fake Mike Smith. Yeah, he tried. He tried. Mike Smith. I feel like he should be like a surf instructor or something. Surfer. Stoner dude, he's got a real, 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 real difficult accent. Oh, now Robert, I think that was the best one I've heard so far on this pod. 
Just man, it's just real. You got to get out there and compete. Anyways, I don't understand why these two guys who were on the team last year just didn't bother to come back. Like six more months for another national title, I would have done it, man. What are they doing? Who who was it, John? What are they doing with their lives right now? Luis Grijalva signed a professional contract with Hoker and ran at the Olympics. So Grijalva, fair enough. You don't need to come back. Next, second place guy here, Blaze Farrow. Uh, I don't know what he's been up to. I assume he's profession pursuing a professional career. I feel like he didn't he sign with uh maybe with Alistair Craig's group with Reebok. Am I making that up? Yes, he signed with Puma. I think he's joining that group. So he got look, he got a pro deal. He's been in high school for a while now. I don't begrudge anyone who wants to move on with their life, especially if that life includes professional running. He's already won what two, three NCAA championships with NAU. Does he really need another one? Whatever happens on Saturday, I think we're going to have a higher team score. Last year it was pretty low, John. <laughs> yeah, last year it was sixty, which was the lowest score in. 15 years. So I do think it's going to be higher than that. The interesting thing I had, I talked to Sean Carlson, the Notre Dame coach, and he was saying, yeah, I think the winning score, He, I think he thought it was going to be like maybe 90 to 100 or something like that. And I was like, that's interesting because, you know, they scored 87. Notre Dame scored 87 in NCAAs last year. Uh, like, do you not think you're going to be able to do that again? And he said, well, yeah, but we ran like they ran really well well at NCAAs last year. Like 87, that will win a lot of years. It was the lowest non-winning score since 1997. So he was just realistic. Like, you're not always going to have a great day at nationals, but even if you don't have a great day, if you're their fourth guy and you're running, you know, in the 30s or 40s and you thought you're going to be in the 20s, that can still help you win a national title. So I thought that was a good way of looking at it. Like, even if Notre Dame, they could be a better team than they were last year, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to score fewer points than they did at NCAAs last year, though, because a lot of things went right on that day. Yeah, a lot of coaches were making that point on the teleconference yesterday, John. Um, Dave Smith, Oklahoma State, I, I think I read, I guess that was he said that to you privately about Taylor Rowe. He's like, you may be running as well as you did the year before, but you may not be in the top 10. You know, it could be harder. If Notre Dame runs, I'll say this. Here's my bold declaration of, of, of the day. If Notre Dame runs as well as they did last year and scores as well, they will win the championship. I think it's going to be a much higher scoring day. And I'm not the only one that thinks that, folks. Bijan Mazahari, I don't know if he's a student or a professor or what, but he's at Caltech. Guy's way smarter than I am. He's developed an amazing website called lactic.com. That's L-A-C-C-T-I-C.com. And it's an algorithm. And you can score any cross-country meet you want. You put them in there. It does some of their track times. It looks at some of their recent cross-country times. And you can go back and, like, it projects the meet. You can actually look at past meets and see, like, how did the results compare to their projections, who did better, who did worse, etc. And I've run the simulation, John. There's a 58% chance that Northern Arizona University wins. Oklahoma State has 14%. He says BYU is the third choice here, but they're only 9%. He does have Notre Dame at the higher win percentage at 10%. So this is a fascinating website. 
I told Walden I wanted to buy it. But now I look at some of this. I do got one, some columns here with individual picks. But first of all, the team scores, he's got 143. He's got the range. The range. 143 is the winning time? Winning score? Winning score and the range being the the confidence range is you only could go between 107 is the lowest score he sees and 180 is the highest. Okay. All right. I I appreciate the effort that B. John's put into this, but there's no way in hell the winning score is going to be 143 on Saturday. It'll be a lot lower than that. And. There's no way in hell that NAU is six times more likely to win than Notre Dame. I just fundamentally disagree with that as well. Okay, well, I want to give Bijan some credit. So, John, because Bijan is faster than all of us here, at least in the marathon. So by the runner's rule of transitive property, we're not allowed to express any opinions contrary to hers. That's how it works. But... First of all, on his LinkedIn, it says, I am a computer scientist and mathematician interested in hidden variables and causal structures. So he's obviously smarter than us. Went to Williams. He is now on the coaching staff at Caltech where he's getting the PhD. And at the 2019 Chicago Marathon, he ran 215.26. Yeah, I think I talked about him when he did that. I, I talked to him a couple of years ago. I may, Maybe these two, we'll try to update it. By the way, we're going to have another podcast on Friday live from the course, maybe 12 noon. Check the homepage to see when we do it. But um, I'm trying to talk to him before that. Maybe these team scores project, maybe they're not taking out the individuals. Is that possible that his team score would just include everybody? Because that would make it a lot higher. All I'm saying, the only there's only one time in the entire history of the meet where the winning score has been up higher than 143 points. Uh, and that was Colorado in 2013. So, but I, I think it's a useful starting point if you look at his projections to see, you know, where people line up, where it poss- where people might possibly be. But look, my thinking is between NAU, Oklahoma State, and Notre Dame, one of them is going to have a really good day. And I think if one of them has a really good day, they're going to score under under 100 points. BYU also, who you know, I kind of discounted. Because I didn't think they'd have a fifth man this year. They just ran their best of the race of the re- year at regionals, and reminds me of the 2019 team. I was like, oh, they didn't they didn't win in 2017 or 2018 when they had the better team. I'm not going to pick them to win in 2019, but then they came in and shocked NAU in that meet. So if they do the same sort of thing this year, could they? I, I don't think it's out of the picture that they win either. Yes, John, that is correct. BYU, the second place right now in the prediction contest. So Northern Arizona one, BYU second, Notre Dame third, Oklahoma State fourth. All right. Well, then I, I now see here how heavily people rely on the Jonathan Gold meet previews because I mean, is that why Mance is the heavy favorite? You know, because I made the case for him. I don't know. But I would just say this is the casual running fan might just say, oh, it's NCAA cross country. Don't BYU and NAU just go one, two every year. And so they're just going to pick that without actually having looked into the results this year. And, you know, I'm going to be interested to see once my article comes out, I'm not going to be picking BYU for second, whether that changes anyone's minds in the prediction contest. Wow. He's getting an ego like Robert. That's pretty unbelievable. <laughs> there. But John, I believe BYU is number two in the coaches poll. That's probably what people are going off of. Yeah, probably. Okay. Back to this lactic.com. Looking at the individual picks, I was in love with this website, but I hadn't spent that much time with it. But the individual picks seem a little off to me. You got Wesley Kiptu as a favorite, 22% win rate. 
Connor Mance is only fourth, but he's got him at a 14% win rate, which is way higher than second, third, or fourth, second or third, which is 8% for Wilscott, 1% for Eduardo Herrera. Cooper Tier is only seventh. He's got a 15% win rate, which is higher than Mance's. And then Kyoko is a 10% win rate at number eight. Then he's got Isaiah Rodriguez way down to number 11, but his win rate is 14%. How, how, how could that possibly be that you're most likely going to finish 11th, but your win rate is 14%? So I don't know what's going on here. But enough well, men's talk. This guy, he, he, he has like the single best run, I would say, of the entire cross-country season. At the Cowboy Jamboree, he ran a course record at Oklahoma State. 23-03, just crushed everyone, including NAU. Like, he destroyed NAU's top three in that race. So he has a very high ceiling, but he also didn't even score for Oklahoma State at the regional meet. So he's sort of high risk, high reward. But he's finished top 10 twice. Like, he was he was fourth in NCAAs in 2018 when he was a redshirt freshman. And I think he's, he's a better runner now than he was then. So there's a path to victory, but I don't think 14%. I think it's lower than that. Yeah, I think Mance is way too low. All right, let's turn to the women. Starting with individuals. Mercy Challen got, it was really interesting to hear her talk yesterday on the teleconference. She said she loves cross country and someone's like, why? She's like, well, when I came to the States, I'd never run a cross country race before. My first race ever was cross country and I liked it. And then she also said, I like it because I don't have to double. I just do one race, um, win it and go home. But, you know, John, it was really interesting to me on your individual preview, you you really seem to be Mercy Challenger or Whitney Orton of BYU. And if Orton had not been hurt last year, I think she would have been the favorite. Instead, she'd only been running for four weeks. She led most of the race before fading late. But when I was reading you describe Whitney Orton and her credentials, etc., I was like, yes, Whitney Orton's winning this race. And then I get to the bottom and you say, no, 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 no. You pick Chellengott. So tell me why people should think Chellengott's going to actually beat Whitney Orton. Well, I usually just go through that. If you're the favorite from the year before, I, I still kind of take you as the favorite the next year, as long as you keep winning. And Chellengott's kept winning. Now, here's the interesting thing. Is neither of these women have raced very much this year. They've only raced a combined five times. But no, neither of them have lost. And what I like from Chellengott is she had a better track season than Whitney Orton. Now, Whitney Orton did run 15-12, but in NCAAs, I don't know. She just she didn't really do much. She didn't make the final in the 1500. And then the 5K, you know, she got beat by Chellengott. Whereas Chellengott was the runner-up in the 10K outdoors, and she's, you know, she's kept winning this fall. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be close. I think either of those two women could win. I wouldn't be shocked if Kaylee McCabe from West Virginia, who's probably had the best season this year, wins. Though she only won Big 12s narrowly over Kaylee Logue. But I think this is, you know, I think you could make a, you could make an, you could definitely make the case for Orton versus Chellengott that either one of them should be the favorite. And McCabe beat NC State's Kelsey Jamil, the big kick earlier in the year. You got 2020 NCXCA runner-up Taylor Rowe of Oklahoma State. You also mentioned Abby Nichols of Colorado. Taylor O'Neill of Northern Arizona. Caitlin Tui is sort of the Nico Young of the women's side. High school prodigy. Hasn't really been the team's number one all that much, but wouldn't be a shock if they won it. So kind of similar, I guess, to the men's race, if you actually think about it, in terms of 
potential winners and storylines. Yeah, I view it similarly. I don't think I think Mance is a heavier favorite than Chelenga on the women's side. Uh, I don't view Chelenga as this overwhelming favorite, but she could come in and, and win, and then we're like, oh wow, this is you know this is actually a dominant force in the NCAA. But she didn't come out and crush everyone on the track last year, so you can't really give her like you know overwhelming favorite status. Though Mance didn't either; he was only the runner-up in the 10K. That's where you'd be wrong, at least according to lactic.com. If you're taking emotion out of it and letting the algorithms decide our lives like we like most of these teenagers and 20-year-olds are doing every day on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, <laughs> as I am as when I shop on Amazon, etc. They give Mercy Chill and got a... Is By the way, is they the proper t- pronoun to refer to a website? Like how... Do you think they'd like to be identified? I don't want to say he or she. It. Well, there, there is binary in websites, right? So I don't know if we can call it they. Shouldn't it be a he or a she? Uh, yes. They're not non-binary. Mercy Challenge got has a 34% chance to win as the number one choice. Whitney Orton, 23%. They predict Bethany Haas, one of the twins, the Haas twins, to get third of Minnesota. 3% chance to win. Taylor Roy, though, is fourth at 7%. Kelsey Chamel, 3%. Going on down. Caitlin Tui fans, everyone loves her. She's predicted to finish 11th, and she has a 0% chance of winning, according to the computers. Walden, how does that compare to the Let's Run Faithful? Let's Run Faithful? They're heavy on Mercy Chilingut. 66% of people, two-thirds of you, picking her to win, defender title. Kelsey Jamil is actually number two in the rankings when you take the top 10, but she's actually the third pick to win at 5.1%. Whitney Orton coming in 11.1% of you guys. And then it's Abby Nichols, Celie McCabe, Caitlin Tui, Taylor Rowe, Taryn O'Neill on the way down. I'm wondering if I should go against my... I picked Chelengar in the preview, but I'm wondering if I should go with Orton because, well, I guess the case is that they're kind of almost co-favorites, so maybe it's not a huge upset, but how often like how often does NCAA cross actually go to form where all the favorites win? Very rarely, right? So if I'm picking Mance, the men's favorite, to win, I feel like there's going to be some sort of upset in the women's race, but picking Orton isn't really... It's not really picking much of an upset, right? So I'm wondering if I should be going deeper, if I should be going for someone like Abby Nichols of Colorado who won pre-Nats or McCabe. Like the thing is there are, there are a bunch of women in the contention. It's not like Kaylee McCabe winning would be a huge upset either. So I don't know. I'm kind of doubting myself. Maybe I should just stick with Chelengot because I think she's the safest bet. One thing that's going to be different that we haven't talked about is the course. Really difficult course in Stillwater last year. This course is viewed as pretty f- Fast, right? John, I mean, it's not on the total track meet on grass, but it sounds like they're running through some woods, but nothing crazy. No, it's going to be fast. I mean, Mance ran 22.47 on this course at pre-Nats. So I, I think it's fairly flat and there's some crushed shell parts of it. You know, I think the winning time, it's going to be... I think they'll also get after it because if you look at, the, at least on the men's side, you know, Mance and Kiptu... So I could see a winning time, you know, in the mid to low 28 minutes on, on Saturday. 
All right, let's turn to the team battle. The key thing here is how do you score 96 points? Because if you score 96 points, that's been the number that you needed to win the last two years. Arkansas in 2019, BYU in 2020. It wasn't close last year. BYU 96, NC State 161. But NC State's ranked number one, right, John? They are, and I think deservedly so. But really, you can make a case for any of the top four, which is NC State, BYU, New Mexico, and Colorado. Uh, New Mexico, Colorado, BYU, they're obviously all in the mountain region. They race each other, but you know they were running sort of skeleton squads just doing enough to qualify. Um, it's just tough to measure up. Like NC State, I think, kind of has the combination of stars and depth that I like to see, but... BYU won it all. They scored 96 back in March, and they returned their entire top seven. They're running six of the seven from that meet on Saturday. And Wheaton Orton, who was 17th, who was not even their top woman in that race, she's now in better shape. I expect her to finish higher now. So are we really saying that BYU, you know, bringing back the whole team with a better number one runner that this year is going to be finished lower that that's hard to imagine right so it's kind of it's tough paper that's sort of crazy john if you think about it you won eight months ago you got your entire team back you think you'd be the favorites because nc state like what like hennis graduated i'm trying to think they've got a few other people who aren't aren't there yeah but hennis didn't run ncaa's last year and you've got to remember nc state they were right in the thick of it with byu with you know a k to go last year and or 2K to go, and they kind of fell apart, whereas BYU held it together. But NC State was close to winning last year as well. So I think they're in the mix. And then Colorado, they got a bunch of transfers. They're a lot better this year. And New Mexico, they've reloaded with their usual cadre of international students. And, you know, they've won They've won pretty much everything. You know, they won the Mountain Regional. They won the Wisconsin Nutty Cone meet. So, yeah, we haven't... The, the interesting thing is we haven't really seen all of these teams competing against each other when they all have their pieces together. And that's what we're finally going to get to see on Saturday. And all the haters out there, can you explain why transfers are okay, but international students aren't? one let's run. Well, right. I mean, John, I think BYU, even though they're number one, maybe running better, the other girls must not be running as well, right? Or is it the fact that NC State's just better in the sense of, I mean... We love our Ivy Leaguers on this podcast. Alexander Hayes has transferred in from Columbia and has been running, you know, fantastic. She was fifth at ACC, sixth at the regional meet, et cetera. Well, yeah, she, she's definitely had an impact. Am I wrong? But I think like all of her brothers ran at Columbia too. Is she a member of that fa- that Hayes family? That was like, I remember meeting one at my on my recruiting trip. I thought that was the Hayes, right? She'd be a lot younger than the other ones, but that would be interesting. Um, but in a camp, she was the top woman at NCAAs last year. She finished 11th overall. She only recently has started sort of looking like her old self. And I asked, you know, Diljeet Taylor, that coach, about this. And she's like, yeah, well, Anna had a long track season. You know, she made it, she was the NCAA champ in the 1500. She made it to the Olympic trials. And she's traditionally. T- taking a little longer back in shape, coming back in the fall. You know, she was only 32nd at Nuttycomb after getting 11th at NCAAs a year ago. But 
her last two races, she's trained it in the right direction. So I think she's going to be in the top 20 again. So BYU, they might be, you know, they, I don't think they've run their best race this year, but you could also argue it could be, I think that's the case with NC State. They haven't had all their talent together once they started running, you know, ACCs, they dominated when they had close to a full squad. And then Colorado and New Mexico, Colorado crushed the Pat 12 meet. New Mexico has been very consistent. Uh, I'm a little worried. New Mexico might not have, you know, that low stick up front that we would see. Like Colorado has Abby Nichols. BYU has Whitney Orton. NC State has Kelsey Camille. I think that, you know, New Mexico is going to have that very, very low stick in the top, you know, five, maybe top 10 NCAAs. And that could be the difference in a race that I think it's going to be close. I think you could see two, like, I don't know if 96 will be enough because, Again, it, it kind of makes me think of 2018. We thought, oh, that's a really good field. New Mexico was probably going to win. But then Colorado just came out and blew everyone's doors off. And I think one team could do that and run and go really, really low. Or you could have them all taking points off of each other and you have like three or four teams clustered right around 100 points. So I don't know how it's going to play out, but I do think it's going to be really exciting to see. For the record, Alexander Hayes is the sibling of... Chris, Ryan, and Aaron Hayes, who all ran at Columbia. Chris and Ryan were back in the league when I was there. I mean, 2009, 2010 and type stuff. Crazy. <laughs> all, all were great runners and all ran college at the same school. But, John, let's just – enough talk. Uh, we, again, algorithm here, Lactic.com. NC State wins it 103 to 108 over New Mexico. They've got a 50% chance to win it. New Mexico, 42%. They don't think very highly of anybody else. Wait, what? BYU six, BYU six percent. Colorado fourth at a zero percent chance of winning it. Alabama has a two percent chance, and that's it. Oh shoot! We should tell Mott Wetmore and Hair of the Burrows not even any point. Pack it up and go into Tallahassee. There's zero chance you win this thing. So it's one hundred three to one hundred eight to one fifty four to one ninety eight. And John, this is a math guy, so zero percent chance means it can't happen. It won't happen. Hundred percent chance. Hundred percent. Well, it's funny because. I, the, when I heard the first results, though, I could definitely see like NC State going 103 and New Mexico going 108. I like the points and, you know, I think the places that, you know, that's an argument for that. But I just think it's, I think this is a four horse race and the algorithm clearly thinks it's a two horse race. One the final thing on these projections, I do think, so I'm looking at the men's team score again and why it says 149, 141, sorry for NAU. I think part of it is like, I don't know, if you look at like the baseball projections, they have the stat nerds will always project like the win totals at the start of the year. And no one's ever higher than about 89 wins because they're just sort of taking the average. But you're always going to have like, that might be 141 might be the average score for what NAU does on a given day. But that's different from saying what the winning score is going to be. You know, it's the winning score. Likely, some team is going to score perform much better than their average when they win. But if you take every team's average performance, okay, I can actually see the logic of having a high winning score. Wait, baseball win totals? They never have anyone like above 90 wins, John? I feel like when I look at like the node projections at the start of the year, it's always like Dodgers have the best projected record at like with 89 wins. And individually, folks, Mercy Chelong got 34% chance, Whitney Orton, 23%. I think I may have said that already. All right, enough cross-country talk. More on that on Friday. Check out the live show if you're not a member of the Friday 15. We'll be on the boots on the ground. Um, let's talk about, oh, one last thing. I just, while you guys were looking up the D1 stuff, 
want to give a shout out to the local school, the Johns Hopkins women. According to the algorithm, they have a 99% chance of winning yet another Division Three women's title. So. 99%? Holy crap. Yeah. So, All right. In a matter of 45 minutes, the Michigan pro Ekaden, this is a cool addition to the calendar, when, particularly when COVID was going on, nothing's going on. I think the three of us have all gone to Japan to run an Ekaden, although I didn't actually get to run the Ekaden. I had to run in the alternates race. I think, John, did you run the alternates race too? I also ran the alternates race, yes. Walden's the only one to actually have suited up for the United States of America and also to have suited up in any Ekaden in Japan. But they're now bringing an Ekaden to the U.S., which is these relay races where you wear a sash instead of a baton and it's a long-distance relay. But pretty cool race, John. We've got... It's a marathon, right? They're running a full marathon? Yeah, six legs, three men, three women per team. Uh, they did this in... Michigan last year and NAC Elite won fairly handily. This year, I feel like, I mean, we got tell them the teams. We got Hanson Brooks. Yeah, we got Hanson's Brooks, Team Boulder, Roots Running Project, uh, Minnesota Distance Elite, NAC Elite, and Bowman Track Club, who was supposed to come last year, but then they had some COVID issues, you know, some contact tracing, that sort of thing. They ended up pulling out, but they are going and they're sending a pretty good team. Woody Kincaid. Thomas Ratcliffe, Grant Fisher, Courtney Ferricks, Vanessa Fraser, and Elise Cranny. So that's four Olympians, which is a lot more than any other team entered has. They're, they're obviously the favorites. Actually, I'm going to say everyone's going to be listening to this after the race. I'm going to confidently predict Bauman wins this race. But I think it's cool that they go out there and run it. You know, any and then you got NAZ Elite. I'd say they're probably second favorites. They they won last year. They've Scott Fallball. Sid Vaughn, Nick Hager, Katie Wasserman, Columbia grad, Danny Shanahan, Lauren Paquette. So, yeah, I think that's probably next best. And then, you know, it's a fight for third, really. But that's 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 sort of how I see it playing out. John, you said more Olympians than anyone else. Without looking at it, I assume it's no one else even has an Olympian. Is that correct? Uh, how quickly you forget Jake Riley of Team Boulder. But he is. I'm looking at the. I'm actually looking at the entries. I think he is the only other American. Props to Annie Frisbee of Minnesota Distance Elite for turning it around and running this eleven day, ten days after the New York City Marathon. One other thing about this race. Do you guys know anything else interesting about this race? Uh fifty thousand dollars in prize money. Where does that come from? Actually, anyone know? Email us. I wonder if like the USATF Foundation puts that up. They got sponsors? That just seems like a lot for a race that doesn't have a mass participation. But good for them. By the way, we we need to have the Hanson brothers on the podcast at some point. They've done so much for the sport. It's insane. I mean, they organize this thing. It's amazing. But yeah, Bowerman Track Club, you heard it here first. Well, on this podcast, not for me particularly. Unless they get injured or unless someone tests positive and their title is stripped from them. They will be your winners. This is wow, little little subtle Shelby Hullahan dig there from Robert. But this is I, I'm I'm worried. We're doing this podcast right now. If Bauman goes down, this is a humongous upset, and we're gonna have to wait a week to to talk about it. Or do we just we add an emergency segment saying down goes BTC? John, if there's an upset, I'll just by two o'clock this thing won't be produced. This conversation will never see sunlight. 
we'll re-record with me predicting an upset. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> no, but do you guys know foreigners are not allowed to run this thing? I, I heard about this because I think it was Morgan McDonald of OAC or someone from On Athletics Club was like, oh, you know, can we run or something? And then they were like, yeah, we wanted to run, but it was supposed to be like an all-American team. I don't know. I know the exact reasoning behind that. Because it would be this race would be a better race with On Athletics Club in it. I, I, I find that hard to argue. I got a problem with that. I'm fine for it being American-based only teams, but if the teams have foreigners on it okay well, that's the pro in preview of the race that already happened um okay moving on to perhaps the biggest story in terms of global running significance to break this week was the ioc came out with new transgender guidelines and if you haven't been following the story you should check out sean ingles work from the guardian and on his twitter account he's been providing the updates on this and he had a tweet on Tuesday saying, you know, there are three main points from this, these guidelines. One, that transgender women are now no longer automatically required to lower their testosterone to compete in Olympic sports. That there is no presumption that athletes should have an advantage due to their transgender status. But sports can restrict athletes if peer-reviewed science shows disproportionate advantage exists and for safety. So the IOC has basically said, this isn't our problem anymore. You guys can, you know, transgender women can compete however they are, but if individual sports want to take steps to prevent them from competing, they can do it. If It's backed by science. Now, World Athletics already has transgender guidelines and they're saying they all stick by them. And those guidelines require transgender women to reduce their testosterone before competing in the women's category. So in track and field, this might not have a huge impact, but globally it could if other international federations sort of take the same cowardly approach that the IOC has taken here. Do we need a bunch of one-star reviews, John? All right. If you believe in sanity in sport, please go give us a five-star review on iTunes. Everyone else, please refrain from giving us the one-stars. Okay. They're assuming there's not a presumption of advantage due to transgender status. Okay, that may to be technically true, but how about there is an advantage on the sex you're born with? If we're talking transgender females, that is a biological man wanting to compete in female sport. There is an inherent advantage in almost every sport. That's just basic science. Whether you want to put inclusiveness over fairness that's a societal discussion but of course biological men have an advantage now would you suppress your hormones and that sort of stuff can that advantage be decreased of course but this just seems to me to be sort of window dressing because the sports are going to show that biological men have advantages and then i guess it becomes a question if you're suppressing your testosterone, should you be allowed to compete? What do you think? And I think that's almost more of a sociological question than a scientific question almost in some ways. Well, this isn't going to impact track, Mac, but this is just absolutely disgraceful. This is absolutely disgraceful. But in some ways, I'm actually glad they're doing this because I hope that just dudes just start showing up in the women's categories and dominating some of these sports. And then we'll, then people will come to their sanity because – this is so stupid. This is just so dumb. Like, 
you have to prove that you're that you're that a transgender athlete has an advantage over a non-transgender athlete. Why don't we just get rid of women's sports altogether? Where's the scientific proof that men have a better have an advantage to beat women? Why are the world records in all sports better in the men's sports than women's sports? You know, why can the U.S. women's national high uh, national soccer team not beat a high school regional all star team? Not even close. They get destroyed. Is because oh, it's just because they don't try hard. Oh, women don't care about sports. These the, 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 having documents like this actually should outrage all women because it implies that women just don't care about sports. They don't try about sports. That's not why they're as good as good as men. And this is insane. I mean, yeah, to come up with the scientific study is not easy to do. But they're basically just they're trying to kick this down. And they're doing what the NCAA is doing. The NCAA is now kicking everything down to each individual sport. The IOC doesn't want to deal with this, so they're just kicking it down. But this isn't this hard. It's not that complicated. I've said this before a few weeks ago. We should have sports, open sports. That's category one. The second sport is you don't have testes, internal or external. And then that's it. We don't have to talk about whether you're trans or not. I don't care if you want to wear a dress to the game. Doesn't bother, doesn't bother me. If you want to wear a ponytail, doesn't bother me. If you want to, whatever, you can compete in the testes category and the non-testes category. I don't care how you dress. I don't care how you talk. I'm just going to see if you have the testes or not. Okay, it's a little, you know, that's a blunt, but I, you know, let, let's talk about this thing though. This is the problem. Like Robert, you you nailed it. Why is there two categories to begin with? It's just I can't believe that multiple people at the IOC saw these guidelines. They're like, oh yeah, this makes sense. This is logical. Let's publish these. Like, how? How can you have this as a policy and think it makes any sense is beyond me. But the point I thought was interesting, Joanna Harper said this in the Guardian article. You know, she basically says that it's unreasonable to ask sports federations to have robust and peer-reviewed research before placing restrictions on trans athletes in elite sport. Such research will take years, if not decades. That's the damning thing there. Because look, we all know biological men have an advantage over women. But if it ta- if you are now required to have like research to back up this fact, even if it's obvious to everyone, it might take a few years, you know. And if that doesn't get passed quickly enough, that could open the door to to, pro- to problems. Okay. By the way, Joanna Harper John didn't, didn't identify her to everybody. She is a transgender athlete. She was born male. She's now a woman, and she's saying these are ridiculous. So I, I want to read the actual statement here. No athlete should be rule five point one. No presumption of advantage. No athlete should be precluded from competing or excluded from competition on the exclusive ground of an unverified, alleged, or perceived unfair competitive advantage due to their sex variations, physical appearance, and or transgender status. I mean, give me the scientific... Okay, fine. So why don't we do it on sex? I don't care what your transgender status is. Why don't we just do it on sex? We have the female division, which is based on sex, and the male division, which is based on six, sex. Why just can't we go back to that? Sure, there'll be these edge cases, whatever, but why isn't that more fair? Sport can be on sex instead of gender. Why don't we go there, actually? And that would not that would not violate their rules, would it? Your transgender status does not matter. We're going to go on your biological sex. Why can't we make well, that maybe- the rule? Maybe we're reading it wrong because the first part says perceived unfair competitive advantage due to their sex variations. So why don't no one's being unfairly competed from or excluded from competition? You just can't. Maybe we're Sean Engel's reading this wrong. Is there any chance he's reading this wrong, John? You're not being excluded from sports. 
but you know we have the male category, we have the female category. We're we're just saying you're another category. You're not being excluded. You just can't compete in that category. You have to compete in another category. Kaiser Semenya was never banned from competition. She was just banned from the female category. She's had the option to compete in the male category. Yeah, and words matter. Why don't we just go male, female, and also like the term? I guess some would say the same with transgender man, transgender woman. It doesn't really mean anything. But I don't think the word transgender female should exist. If we're talking sex, there's male, female, intersex. That's it. You 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 can't say you're the other sex because you're not. That's just not reality. You can take on characteristics of the other gender. You can take hormones, but you can't change biological reality, right? Correct. All right, let's stop talking about this. We're just going to get angered and get more one-star reviews for being transphobic. We're trying to save women's sports. We're not, Robert. Women's sports in itself, I don't think, is, is at, that's a bit hyperbolic. It's not in jeopardy, but this is 99% of people, or I don't know, I shouldn't go that high. 85% of people, I bet you, would when you talk to them, they're like, yeah, I agree. You know, and I, I've talked to some, well, anyway. Yeah, look, I don't think that women's sports are going to be overrun by transgender women who have not reduced their testosterone. And I don't think that the fear mongers who are saying, oh, you're just going to have a bunch of men posing as women to compete at the Olympics. I don't think that's going to happen either. But what I do think is that if this policy remains in place and other federations don't follow the lead of world athletics, you're going to have one or maybe two athletes who are transgender women who act like... Honestly, do identify as transgender, you know, they and that's not like they're faking or anything like that. And they choose not to reduce their hormones. And they're also world-class athletes. And those women will beat the top women in the world every time if they're allowed to compete at the Olympics. People talk about fairness. I'm, I, I mean, I put fairness ahead of inclusion. And that's just me. But I would almost say for elite sport, I don't really care if you're reducing your hormones. Your biological sex is the other one. I'm sorry. You're allowed to compete. You can compete in in your in the other category, the sex you were born with, if you're male, essentially. So, uh, I don't know, and but I don't think that's wrong or makes me a bigot just for citing there. You're still allowed to compete, but there's divisions, there's classifications, and I think we should do the classification more on sex than gender. John doesn't think we'll have large scores scores of people faking it, but. I said at the high school level, if they if they have these similarly dumb rules, I wish that some conservative leaning guys would do it just to show people how dumb these rules. They are. have had the dumb. If they had these rules in Connecticut, and we saw what happened, we had transgender women going one two in the state meet, and it was it was totally unfair. So that again, I don't think either of those women were faking, but they dominated against the women competition at the state meet. Right. Any of those transgender women. Exactly. All right, let's turn to some more positive news. Weldon will be running a turkey trot next week. And he wants to have us guess, I think, the cost of the entry fee. Is that correct, Weldon? Yeah, positive news. Yeah, a buddy texted me and he sent me a link to the turkey trot the town over, actually where my wife's family's from. He lives in another neighboring town. You know, this is ritzy Fairfield, Connecticut, all of these towns. And I knew immediately, well, I got to run my own turkey trot. It's this the upcoming Thursday. It's on, it's a proper turkey trot. It's on, it's got to be on Thanksgiving. There's, there's a thread on this. I'm like, what's a proper turkey trot? 
so I looked at his race and I was like, wow, that's a bit expensive. But New Canaan, Connecticut, it's a little more tonier than my town. We like to argue, you know, everyone likes to be a man of the people. So then I looked up my turkey trot. Much to my chagrin, it's the exact same price. How long is the race? It's 5K. The waiting turkey trot. Uh, I'm going to say $65. That's ridiculous if it's true. What's the what do you have a guess, Robert? Well, I was thinking 75. It shouldn't be more than 25, but I was going to actually guess 45. Wow, maybe I'm just cheap and don't race anymore. 40 bucks, 40 bucks. Oh, all right. I mean, 40 bucks is a little expensive, but I don't think it's outrageous. I think that's it. That's you know, given the Tony pot of Connecticut in which you reside, I don't think that's price gouging. And then my other pet peeve is so, you know, some of the money's going to charity. Can you have a race where the money doesn't go to charity? Like, what if I just want to run a race and I just want to donate money to charity separately? Like, why do these things always have to be tied together? Does that make me a bad human being? Because they're good ways to raise money. You're saying that you sound like you're angry that some of your money is going towards charity here. Well, then. But couldn't I just run the race and give money to whatever charity I want? Or, or is that the reason? These things are first and foremost. From someone's like, I want to raise money for charity. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's put on a race and the community will do it. I, I get it. I love community events. I love turkey trots. But I think back in the day, people just said, hey, the people who put on races 30 years ago, they're just like, hey, let's put on a running race. And then they're like, okay, yeah, what does this cost? Is what we charge? Yeah, but here's the other thing, Weldon, is that road races require volunteers to operate many of the times. And if you're going to be having a professional race, a pro- for-profit venture, that's fine. But you're going to probably need to staff those positions yourself. It's harder to get volunteers for your race if you're just saying, oh, yeah, all the money goes to us instead of saying the money goes to, you know, for charity. It's much easier to get volunteers if they're volunteering for a charity endeavor. Good point. Good point. I don't know. I get maybe 40 bucks is the going rate for a 5K. I was thinking it'd be like 25 bucks. I think in fairness, kids are free. Kids under 10 are free. Kids 10 to 17 are only 15 bucks. Now it says one mile fun run as well. Does that mean the fun run run is free or probably not, right? I don't know. I never do the fun run. My big question is I looked at the course. It's pretty much the three mile loop I run every single day. Or, or excuse me, let me take that back. It's pretty much the three mile loop that I run when I run, with the exception of like two streets. Kind of wish it came by my house and up the hill, but it doesn't quite do that. But so to be a, a member of the community, I was going to do this thing. I thought I had another extra week to get in shape, but do I go do this or do I just go run my normal five, 5K on my own? say right beforehand or right afterwards what's your nation statement no i think you should run it you're you're this is the co-founder of let's run.com and he's refusing to run his local turkey trot after hyping it up no you should go and run it with the shirt on and people will see who you are and you'll be promoting the website you can write it off as a business you win the race maybe rojo will pay you some money right no i can't win the race i just looked it up some guy ran 18 18 something a few years ago god i can't believe i just said that so many people who looked up to me as a runner all these years are just horrified. But if I'm pushing my, I'm pushing my kid, I will push my kid in a stroller for an excuse from the time. But I, I hope I can like dump dick under like 25 or something. Wow. 28. Oh, six man. Weldon Johnson now terrified of 18 minute 5k runners. I've been running like one day a week. 
since soccer season ended. And also, in fairness to this race, Roet and Turkey Trot, way back, John, they emailed me and said, hey, can we, this is like before I lived here, like years ago. They're like, hey, we have this Turkey Trot. Can you promote it? So maybe we take this thing, we really start promoting it, and it exceeds the Manchester Road Race. Wow. Connecticut's biggest turkey trot. See, that's it right there. Manchester Road Race has been around for ages. It's on Thanksgiving, but it first and foremost was a race. So they don't call it turkey trot. One last thing about the turkey trot. Y'all talking about the nonprofit thing. I thought you just said nonprofit so that like you give like 0.001% to nonprofit, and then people give you lots of money, and you make tons of money, and it's like a, really it's a for-profit thing. Unless the whole race is for nonprofit, then it's a completely different mindset. Anyways, I now want to talk about a message board thread that I saw last week. Speaking of road races, this thread started by, quote, an insider at Nike says that Shelby Houlihan is moving up to the half and full marathon in her return. And he quotes her as saying, I love the pain of the hard long run on a recent podcast. What do you guys make of this? Is this true? John, you listened to all these podcasts. Did you hear her talking on the Running Effect podcast in May? I didn't listen to it, but I know that you know she's been talking about she wanted to run a 10K this year. She obviously didn't get the chance to race this year. And when I saw this thread initially, I'm like, wait, are they insane? Like, She's the American record holder in the 1500 and the, f- and the 5K. She almost medaled at Worlds in 2019. She was fourth in the 1500. Why would she move up to the roads? But you've also got to factor in her age, right? Shelby Houlihan is 28 years old right now. By the time she's starting competing again in 2024, she'll be 31. You know, we don't know. We're not going to be able to really track her results between now and then, but that is around the age that athletes start moving up in events, right? So I don't view it as totally insane. I feel like if she spends her next, you know, the next three years turning herself into a roadrunner or a marathoner and then just comes back there, that would be interesting. But I also kind of feel like we know she's very good at the track. If I were her, I'd sort of been training for the, to the track and come back to the events you know you're good at. I just want to make it clear. In this podcast, she did not say she was moving up long distances. People just noted that she said she likes the grind. And then the person claims to know a Nike insider who vouches for this. But that leads me to an article I saw in The Athletic this weekly. And there's a Twitter account called Message Board Geniuses. It's at Board Geniuses. And all this guy does is go on college football forums and highlight all the people like saying crazy things and saying, oh, I know some insider. And they're like, the article is pretty good. It's sort of like Let's Run. A lot of times there's smoke, there's fire. Someone do know something, but sometimes people just make shit up. So we love our forums. I'm glad to see forums getting written about positively because they're not perfect, but there's so much just genius, great stuff on there. If you want to save space, don't go on internet forum, people. Don't go on internet forum. All right, guys and gals, I think that should be a wrap on this show. John's got some team previews to write. I've got a pack for our trip to, to Tallahassee. VIP supporting club members. If you're in Tallahassee and you can find John and I, we'll be watching the New England Patriots play on Thursday night. We're trying to find a sports bar. But I will let you drink free if you're a VIP supporting club member. All you have to do is 
use the password. Come up to me and say, I love Rojo. <laughs> I will have to verify, though, that you're a supporting club member. Like, you can't just be a non-member and pay. But if you want to sign up now, go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. You can save 20% on shoes, get some free drinks in Tallahassee. I mean, that's been one good thing with COVID, right? We can now ask people for their cards. You know, you got to show your supporters club card. John, whatever happened with it? Did you, anyone take up on the free drinks in New York? No. Um, I'm trying to think. I Yeah, I was at Rosie O'Grady's on one of the nights. Got dinner with Chris Lotsbom and no one came up to me. No one approached me. Now, I did go right off, go home right after the race on Sunday. But... Yeah, no free drinks were dispensed uh, by Let's Run. Didn't you know the corporate credit card has so far gone unused in terms of buying drinks for uh, Let's Run readers. So let's change that in Tallahassee. If you're around, you know you can find Robert and Weldon, uh, Robin and me. I don't know. We may or may not advertise our location. Uh, I guess we got to depend. You know, it's kind of lame just saying, "Oh, we'll be in Tallahassee, but you have to come find us to get a free beer." I feel like if we find a good spot to watch the game, we should say we're here. If you're a Let's Run fan. You know, come and find us. Well, I'd announce it now. I just don't know where we're going. So just email me, Robert at let's and I'll tell you. If you live in Tallahassee, you know where to where you should go to grab a bite, watch the game. It's a college football town in the south. You probably have like twenty options, right? Oh, I, I don't doubt there will be options. We just don't know which one we're gonna choose yet, you know? John doesn't like college football bars, though. He likes professional football. Look, the, the one requirement in this game must be showing the Patriots' destruction of the Atlanta Falcons on Thursday night. And guys, I just looked it up. The Dallas Turkey Trot, 47 bucks. It's one of the races I said I had to win before I died. I did win it. But they do have an eight-miler there. That's You have to pay extra to get timed in the race. That's for the time portion. If you're untimed, it's like 40. So maybe that's the going rate. Until Friday.